leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a fellow sports business classroom alum, a regular on the program, and a big-time Lakers fan, Zeeshan Zaman. Zeeshan, thanks so much for, for coming on. Hey, Garrett. Thanks for having me. Glad to be back on. And, uh, you know, 2020 has been, you know, a, a pretty much a, a downer year for just about everybody, but I wanted to spread a little positivity into the world. And, and one of the things I noticed, of course, uh, Zeeshan and, and I are uh, friends on Facebook, and uh, I saw the really good news that uh, Zeeshan and his wife just had a baby girl in the last month or so. All I can say really is congratulations. I'm sure you're getting a lot of sleep. Yeah, definitely. You know, second time around with uh, kid number two hasn't been as bad, but uh, excited. You know, as a Laker fan, I, I told my wife, um, I'm looking forward to getting one of those plaques that says, who's the champion the year she was born? And it, you know, it'd be good to see uh, the Lakers listed as that. So that, that's kind of been my uh, wishful thinking uh, throughout these finals. Absolutely. And yeah, with the Lakers... Uh, uh, just one win away from from capturing another NBA championship. Uh, you know things haven't been too bad for you as of late. Uh, so uh, obviously uh, we're going to be talking uh, all things this uh, this NBA final series between the Lakers and Heat, and uh, the Lakers, of course, getting that crucial Game Four win last night to take a commanding three to one series lead. But uh, first off, Zeeshan, I'm, I'm curious, uh, what was your sort of expectations heading into this series? Did you think it was going to be an easy Lakers win? What uh, what were your feelings going in? No, I, I saw the challenges that the Miami Heat presented. I think, you know, from the first three series, what you would call maybe just a two-headed monster where, you know, you had McCollum Lillard, you had the, uh, you know, Hart. 
Westbrook and Murray and Joker. But I think the challenge that uh, Miami proposed to the Lakers is that they come at you from all angles. You had Bam, I, you know, who obviously, uh, you know, can create for others, who's taking it in. You had Jimmy Butler, who brings the grit, toughness, and just pretty much does everything for that team. But outside of that, you had three or four other guys that just put challenges. And, you know, obviously we'll get to Dragic in a little bit here, and Robinson and Hero, just their shooting. The way that they can spread you out, I, I thought that would create a lot of challenges for the Lakers. I actually, uh, you know, coming into the series, I, was, I thought this would go six or seven. Um, I had the Lakers probably winning in seven, actually. So I, I thought it would be a tough kind of grinded out series for the Lakers and Heat. Yeah, I, I felt very similarly. I ended up actually picking the Heat in six, uh, but I thought it could could very easily go to go to the Lakers. Thought it was going to be a, a back and forth, and and in that in that game one, you know, when we had both teams relatively healthy, I think that first quarter was was pretty even. Both teams were scoring the ball effectively, and and Goran Dragic, I think one of the things that uh, he really provides Miami is just you know if. If the Lakers put LeBron or AD on the likes of uh, of Bam and Butler, then Dragic might have an advantage matchup against one of the, the Lakers' lesser defenders. And and he took advantage, especially in the pick and roll, attacking the likes of, of Dwight Howard at times. Um, and and you know obviously once once he went down, that uh, that really hurt Miami. Although they they have responded reasonably well. Yeah, I mean. Just game one, they jumped out to that large lead right off the bat, right? I think it was they were up 25-12 in the middle of that quarter, and they pretty much had all things rolling for them. I think that one of the things throughout this year I've noticed that the Lakers really struggle against those crafty guards that can take it to the basket, can penetrate, and then from there he can create for them. Um, You know, even in the Boston threes, the the threes were falling. So he just, (laughs) Dragic has been a Laker killer for a long time now, even within uh, during his Phoenix Suns days, he was uh, taking his anger out on Sasha at that time. Um, and, and that's continued, you know, even though they don't meet uh, as often. He's always just been a pain on the Lakers. So going into that game, I'll say, you know, when Dragic goes out, Bam goes out in the second half. As a Laker fan, to me, um, you know, with Bam, you feel like you have AD to match up against. And you kind of feel that comfort. But losing Dragic for them, to me, that felt like a bigger loss. Is, you know, even the Bam kind of gets more of the attention uh, nationally. I agree, and and we saw that in in games uh, two and three, where Miami, with uh, you know the likes of Myers, Leonard, and Olynyk out there, certainly the Heat weren't as effective, and they haven't been as effective without Bam on the floor defensively. You know, the the fact that they were able to put stretch bigs out there, I think, really. Uh, gave the Lakers some difficulties and why they were able to, to put up some some really good offensive performances in games two and three. And then Bam comes back, and yes, the Heat's defense looked significantly better with him out there, but also the offense came sort of uh, crashing back down to earth. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, seeing seeing Dragic as well, you know, he uh, there was reports that he was going to try and, and give it a go in, in game four, but... Uh, he tested it out and just must have had too much pain, too much uh, immobility to, uh, to to really go out there and help his team. And you could see he even had uh, some tears in his eyes. You just got to feel for the guy, uh, considering he's he's had a long career and this is his uh, first finals appearance. Yeah, and I, I think it's his contractor as well, right? I mean, yep. He could have really made a statement out there. Um, I, I think for him, 
think I think just watching him warm up in pregames, you could see, you know, obviously shooting wise that's there, but then uh, I think he was going up against a coach there, tried to do a little de- defensive drill move to the side, and you know he just went straight to the bench after that. And uh, you know, with some of the perimeter defenders that uh, Miami has, with you know Duncan Robinson, Hero, I don't think they could afford to put Dragic next to them as well because I think that that could be disastrous as much as you would give them on the offensive end. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the Heat also, you know, defensively um, with, uh, you know, in those, especially in game two, you know, when they, I think they realized, you know, we're not going to be playing BAM, so we're, we're playing big minutes with the likes of Olenek, and, and uh, you know, he's not a guy that they probably, and Eric Spolster trusts defending the Lakers' pick and roll. So they, they went heavy on zone in that game too, and really the, the Lakers, un unlike the uh, the Celtics in the in the conference finals or even the Bucks before them were really able to to pick that apart and I think a big part of that just had to do with you've got really good passers in Rondo and LeBron and then you've got that baseline lob threat in Anthony Davis it, it really did feel like the Lakers with their personnel were were perfectly set up to attack that heat zone yeah and, and I think they just found that soft spot right in the middle of the key there you know, LeBron or, uh, as you mentioned, Rondo would get to the middle. They would either look for the dish. There's a couple of times LeBron just stepped up for a mid-range shot. And then you always have the threat of uh, Dwight or uh, AD there, too. And I think in that game, too, AD was just on fire, right? I think at one point he was 14 out of 15. Really, just kind of no resistance without Bam there. Um, you know, I, I think they put tried Crowder on him. A little bit of Iguodala, but mainly Crowder. And, you know, one of the things that... I really go back to with AD is I think he was ready for that moment, especially going when um, the Heat went small. Is the Houston Rockets are the one that really put AD in this position? Like early in the season, when the Lakers had played the Rockets, you would see whenever they went small, you would see Bobo and uh, team, you know, just post AD down there, and that is not his game, right? Like AD wants to face up. That's when he's at his best when he can uh, when he's looking towards the basket, and. That kind of development through the season and playing the Rockets in the playoffs, I really felt that's what's prepared him to kind of go against a smaller lineup, especially when Bam's not there. Yeah, and you got to give—I uh, think you got to give Frank Vogel a ton of credit with in, with his lineup changes throughout this postseason. You saw against Houston, he he immediately just went small and and uh, you know really took Howard and McGee out of the lineups against Denver, recognizing that they've got a battle with Jokic. He, uh, you know, Dwight Howard was a was a key figure, and then back again in these finals, I think they they recognized not only in Game One with with Dragic taking advantage of Howard, but with the Heat playing those floor spacers at the five, they were really able to take advantage of of Howard or McGee out there as well. So Vogel has gone back to these small lineups, and and it's been effective. Yeah, I mean, it's just Marquise Morris has been big for them. You know, his ability to also hit the three on the offensive end, and then just kind of being able to match up if they need to switch on to Jimmy Butler. Um, you know, every time that Dwight's in, I think you've seen, like, at the start of the games, why the Lakers kind of get off to that slow start, or even in the game two and three, where um, start of the third quarter, it's it, it seems like whenever Dwight's in, they're just really, you know, Jimmy Butler's picking on him, they're doing the switch, and he's been struggling with them. So, Vogel has continued to make the adjustments. Oftentimes, I think it's maybe a quarter late or a half late, but sooner or later he comes around. And then he also does, you know, trust his players, something that I've admired about him through the season when 
maybe as fans we've hit the panic button, just like trust in KCP after you know a couple of the terrible games he had earlier in the playoffs. Where you know I think against the Blazers, we're like, all right, you got to set KCP, you got to get him out of the rotation. Vogel sticks with people, so he really has a good command and understanding of his team's strengths, and he seems to eventually always get to that right lane. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a fascinating coaching series in terms of some of the the defensive ju- adjustments. I think that's kind of been sort of the the ebbs and flows have come largely from that. Of course, you know Miami. I think in game one I saw a stat where with with Bam Adebayo on the floor, the the Heat's defensive rating was one hundred four, and when he was off, it was something like one sixty four. And then in game two, you know, without Bam, the, I think Spolster recognizing that they were abysmal defensively in that game one in man-to-man without Bam figured, you know, our best bet is the zone, and they got absolutely torched. So in that game three, I think Spolster and the Heat made a really nice adjustment instead of just basically conceding a lot of those switches where LeBron's the ball handler and he wants to attack the mismatch, whether that's Hero or, or Duncan Robinson. Uh, that he decided to show on those ball screens and then get back to their man. And they did concede a, a few pick and pops uh, to, uh, to the likes of uh, Kuzma and KCP and Danny Green. But overall, I think that adjustment, uh, you know, sort of limited LeBron's uh, attack of the, the paint area when he, was, when he was dominating that in the first couple of games. Yeah, definitely. And I think he also made an adjustment there on AD where, you know, before uh, kind of the Lakers were posting him up or right before he was facing up, they would, you know, hedge with a second defender on AD just to get some extra bodies around him and get him uncomfortable. Um, you know, obviously he picked up those early fouls and just was not dominant and, uh, you know, really passive throughout uh, game three there. I think just a little adjustments there. I think I also like the, you know, probably can't do it in long spurs at his age, but Iguodala on AD just with his craftiness, his, you know, the quick hands that he has able to strip. I think that's an area where, Oftentimes, AD struggles. Sometimes he's slower with his moves, so Iguodala can take advantage of that, I think, a little bit better than Crowder can. And so those little moves that he's, you know, subtle things that he's done um, in terms of adjustments and, you know, going away from the zone slowly as well, you know, kind of all of the uh, space that was there in the middle, I think he's starting to crowd that as well. It just made it more difficult for LeBron and AD to feast down there. Absolutely. And, and on the other end of the floor, I thought, you know, Vogel made a, a really good adjustment uh, in, in Game 4, which we'll get to in a bit, but Game 3, it, it really became pretty simple for Miami, the, the offensive strategy. Well, and, and, and it worked in Game 2 as well, is, you know, give Butler the ball, isolate, and space the floor around him with, with three to four shooters. And it felt like in that Game 3, a part of what was, you know, Butler's incredible performance where he put up 40 points, 13 assists, 11 rebounds on 14 of 20 from the field and 12 of 14 from the line. A big part of that was that the Lakers were just, you know, doing what the Heat did in Games 1 and 2 versus LeBron where they were just giving the Heat whatever switch they wanted and allowing Butler to attack. And, and they didn't really provide any resistance once he started his drives either. And and Butler one on one with uh, with plenty of time and able to just dribble the air out the ball showed he he's pretty darn effective. Yeah, I mean I, th- I think we'll always remember Game Three as the Jimmy Butler game. He was just dominant, like hunting out you know KCP, Danny Green, and even Kuzma at times. Um, I thought you know, and we'll get to the adjustment that Vogel made there in Game Four, but you know 
every time I either set a pick, we would automatically go to the switch without any resistance. And Bowler, um, you know, to his credit, didn't go away from it. He, you know, what was working, he stuck to it throughout the whole game. So that was just impressive to see. I think the Lakers, you know, they chipped away, that made the game close. But at the end of the day, turnovers, I think, is what really hurt them. You know, in the first quarter, I think itself, they had 10 turnovers compared to a nine for the whole game in game two. And then down the stretch with AD not being aggressive, with, um, you know, LeBron's turnovers, uh, you know, in crunch time, and just Butler being dominant, really getting some timely shots there from Hero and Robinson as well. And I think one guy I don't want to forget to mention is Kelly Olenek. I uh, really felt like the way with the spacing, as you mentioned, he just hit some back-breaking shots for them, you know, from uh, the perimeter, being able to spread that out. And, you know, Butler was just by himself down there with him uh, kind of spreading out the court. Yeah, uh, you, you mentioned the, the Lakers' turnover, in particular uh, LeBron and AD turning the basketball over. I was looking at the uh, at, at cleaning the glass prior to, to recording this with you, and, and they're both at around a 14% turnover rate for this series, which is which is not good and, and not really like them. When you're watching these games and you're seeing them turn the ball over, uh, does, does it feel more like this is just the Miami Heat's defensive intensity, just disrupting things or is it more kind of sloppiness from from the Lakers stars or is it a, a little bit of a combination of the two I think it's a little bit of a combination of the two and even uh, yesterday's game you just you know kind of scratch your head with some of the entry passes to Anthony Davis where I think oftentimes you're just you know you know Iguodala is a pest down there but oftentimes I feel like the Lakers are just giving them too much credit and they're very sloppy with some of the inbound passes or, that are going over, just miscommunication if the defender's coming up top or, uh, you know, they're, they're playing uh, fronting uh, AD. So I think from that aspect, we just saw a lot of, you know, just careless turnovers. And some of LeBron's ones in the late fourth quarter in game three, I mean, those travel calls, I think those I would attribute to just Miami's good defense there. They were packing the paint, just kind of getting mad swords. So, um, you know, a lot of them came from offensive fouls as well. So overall, uh, I would say it's a mix of both. Uh, I think game three, I would credit more to Miami's defense. Yesterday, I would say a lot of carelessness for the Lakers kind of early in the first half. Yeah, the the entry pass, when you mentioned that, I think the one that, that comes to mind for me, there was one where, yeah, the, the Heat were fronting and, and Davis, you know, puts his puts his hand up like to say, suggest LeBron throw the ball towards the baseline and LeBron does it, but then Davis just kind of doesn't move towards the basketball. Right. Um, I think you had one later in the game with Kuzma and um, LeBron as well, where you know LeBron asked for the ball, who's kind of just gives him a soft pass and get the steal for the easy bucket there as well for Miami. Yeah, it's uh, it's been sloppy, uh, and the Lakers able to uh, able to survive it in in, in Game Four. But uh, yeah, we we mentioned earlier the the adjustment Vogel made, and and we haven't discussed it yet, but. The they essentially did the same thing that the Heat did versus LeBron, where they did not just let Jimmy Butler get a, a low resistance switch, get the the matchup that they, that he wanted, and especially in that fourth quarter, the Vogel just put AD on the likes of Butler, and anytime Miami set a screen, you know AD would go under, and they would have a guy you know show very hard and, and force Butler to, to take a step back and then and let Anthony Davis get back into the play. Uh, that was that was very effective and again especially you know that that's really I feel like where you notice the absence of a Dragic 
is when the Lakers are doing something like that and really trying to take away Jimmy Butler isolations, uh, that's where it's nice to have a, a secondary creator out there on the floor. Exactly. Right. And I would say I, I noticed two adjustments. I think one, as you mentioned, kind of, you know, AD asking to guard Jimmy Butler. I think that's what I heard during the post game where he wanted to really take some of the pressure off of LeBron as well. Um, early in the game, in the first quarter, where, you know, Jimmy still started off five for five, even though they had AD on him, they were still using the same uh, kind of strategy as game three where, you know, Miami would set the pick, Lakers would end up switching, and Jimmy would kind of abuse his defender. Towards the end of the first, I noticed that's when Vogel made that adjustment to not only just have AD on him, but to go under on those screens and really dare Jimmy to start shooting those threes, and which is something, you know, I think looking forward to the next game that Jimmy Butler is going to have to do to kind of keep them honest. But um, I think, you know, that move was great. I think additionally, as you mentioned, you know, where when once you take Butler out of the game, they don't have that secondary playmaker, at least from a guard standpoint, that's where... For the Lakers, when you do that to LeBron, maybe he tires out a little bit towards the end of the game. You have someone like Rondo who could still set up the offense. So really down the stretch, that's kind of been the critical difference so far. Yeah, one one little uh, counter to how the Lakers were defending those, those Butler uh, screen actions and keeping Davis on him, one thing I saw that the Heat did once or twice that was pretty effective was have Duncan Robinson set the screen on Butler, and there was one play where he Robinson was able to set a solid screen on Davis, and because his man doesn't want to leave him, because Robinson is this elite shooter, uh, Butler was able to just turn the corner and get right to the rim. Um, but uh, they, they did that pretty early in the fourth quarter, and I never they, I think they went back to it one time, one other time, and Robinson wasn't able to set a solid screen on that second attempt. But that was something that I thought Miami really missed out on is if the Lakers are committed to sticking one defender, either LeBron or Davis, on Butler, yeah, have Robinson set that screen and and really force a a tough decision out of that Lakers defense. Yeah, and I think one of the other things the Lakers would have to do, uh, maybe down the stretch, is obviously you're, you're playing Morris more. I could see Danny Green playing even more limited minutes. I just don't think he's been effective. On either, and I know he's hit some big shots. I could see Kuzma, who's actually, you know, surprisingly played well. You know, he'd completely lost his shot in the Denver series. He's starting to come around with some of his threes there. He still will make some boneheaded plays on defense, but he's putting up the effort and some lanes. I could see Kuzma and Morris getting uh, some few more minutes even in the next game if, if they're going for the close there. So I think that could really help out if he's you're putting him on. Robinson on those switches, maybe to just get kind of Kuzma's length on Butler if those switches happen. Yeah, he didn't do, uh, Kuzma did, a, I thought, a, a decent job on Butler, even though Butler hit some, some tough shots over him in Game 3. Uh, but yeah, he, he does have that length, and, and yeah, outside of LeBron and Davis, Kuzma is probably their, their, their best option on, on Jimmy Buckets. But uh, the... The other thing you've got to, uh, I guess I'm curious to hear if you're surprised by this production that the Lakers are getting from the bench, but you know, you talk about, you mentioned that that Kuzma's been been knocking down shots. He's 9 of 21 from 3 in these finals for 43%. Markeith Morris is 11 of 26 from downtown in in the four games in the finals for 42%. And even Caruso, you know, on, on low volume, he's hit 5 of 12. But the bench play that the Lakers have gotten has been has been pretty phenomenal, and that's before we we bring up Rondo. Even though you know he hasn't been shooting the ball well from 
from the outside, he's done a good job of attacking the basket, you know, and, and, and making plays with his passing and his defense. Yeah, this bench has been streaky, I would say, the whole year, and we even saw it throughout the playoffs where, you know, against Denver, uh, you know, you saw Rondo hitting everything, Caruso and Kuzma's, you know, they went cold. I'd say Morris has been fairly consistent throughout this series, but just has been really key for them uh, during the finals. So kind of see the ebbs and flows throughout, uh, you know, the whole playoffs, and that's just been a microcosm of their season so far. I think, Garrett, if I told you, you know, the start of the year that the Lakers would be in the final and next to LeBron and AD, you'd have Marquise Morris, Caruso, and Rondo closing out games, you probably would have, uh, <laughs> I think we all would have just been laughing to hear that's like the closing lineup and somehow the Lakers are a game away from a closing and in a championship. Yeah, and, you know, their they're starting guards and the likes of KCP and Danny Green have, have been poor at times, but KCP came up huge in... Uh, in that in that game four, I think he was responsible for all ten of the of the first ten points scored by the Lakers. I think he had eight on his own with a couple of threes, and then he also had an assist to Davis. Um, so KCP was huge. He hit some some big shots down the stretch as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, Danny Green. I, I think we should mention too that I, I I'm not sure that he's fully healthy right now. I, I think I've heard several reports that he's dealing with some sort of a hip issue. Uh, but uh, yeah, he hasn't exactly looked right. But but yeah, when when a couple of your starters are struggling, I guess that's where you you uh, um, you know it's it's good to have the likes of LeBron and AD in that starting lineup that they can carry a couple of guys that are maybe struggling. And then when you've got only one of LeBron or AD on the floor, the way this bench is played, they've been they've been really productive in that time frame. Yeah, and I think the formula the whole season has been you know. Obviously, LeBron and AD are going to carry the offense. You're hoping, you know, I think one thing that was probably established is we really don't have, you know, that third star. Kuzma's not that guy where it's going to be a role by committee, whether it's Caruso or Kuzma or KCP, Rondo, whoever it is, um, you know, which in a way kind of benefits them. Uh, I think they've all kind of taken their turns here. Um, but one thing I would give those guards credit for is, you know, they've played some solid defense against kind of the action that, you know, Miami runs. I mean, you got Robinson and Hero just all over the place, even with Butler. And I think Caruso and KCP have just kind of done as good of a job just staying on their hips as much as possible uh, on all their little action plays, almost kind of warrior, bolster warrior-like. And, uh, you know, just making it as tough as possible. Like Hero, he's been tremendous. He gets his points, but when you look at, you know, their shooting percentage and the, the quality of shots, they're just hitting some tough shots. So, just making it difficult for them, I would say, defensively, you know, they've done a really solid job this series. Yeah, I've I've always loved KCP as a defender, and and I've really liked Danny Green throughout his career. Although I think he's taken a, a bit of a step back defensively this season, but even he is uh, is still good at, at poking the ball from behind on when when he gets beat off the dribble. He just he just makes some plays out there. So yeah, they've they've gotten really good production defensively throughout this roster. Um, you know, you you uh, brought up Hero there that he's he's uh, he's been really good for this Heat team and has been a catalyst for this Finals run. Um, but as soon as Dragic went down, he was the guy that, uh, in my mind, I thought, okay, this guy is going to have to step up. Obviously, Spolster inserted him into the starting lineup. Uh, he's going to have to be the guy that really even takes on more of an, an offensive load. And frankly, I think he's he's been pretty poor in this series. Uh, looking at uh, looking at Hero's uh, numbers. During the Eastern Conference playoff run, so there are three victories, uh, he shot 53% at the rim, 
57% from mid-range and 38% from three. In this series against the Lakers, his uh, percentage at the rim is down to 50%. He's shooting 36% on the mid-range and 33% from downtown. So he's uh, he's uh, you know shooting much worse across the board. And Zeeshan, I wanted to get your take on this. Obviously, I think uh, you know the the rim shooting is uh, you know has to be attributed a little bit to Davis. There was the one shot in Game Four where Davis didn't even touch the ball and on a uh, fast break opportunity, and Hero just kind of threw it off the backboard, didn't even touch rim. So obviously Davis has had an impact at times affecting Hero, but to me it's it's looked like Hero has gotten some really great looks in both the mid-range and from downtown that he's gotten all playoffs, and he just hasn't hit those shots in this series. Yeah, I and mean, I think, you know, I would say, you know, some of our he's gotten some easy looks too at the basket and they just haven't fallen. So there, there's some shots that, you know, you would expect him to make that just haven't gone down for whatever reason. But I still do give some of the credit to some of the Laker guards. I think Caruso is just, you know, maybe he doesn't have that size against Duncan and Robinson or Hero, but he just does just enough to bother them on their shots and kind of just makes them work just to even get the ball. I think some of that is probably uh, what I'd attribute to some of the shooting struggles that they've had so far. Now, obviously, on the switches, you know, oftentimes you might get LeBron on one of those guys as well. I think for, from a Laker defensive standpoint, like if you look at who they've faced from that guard position, I think they are prepared for it. Like going against, you know, Willard McCullum early, uh, then going against Westbrook Harden, going against Jamal Murray. So I think they've been kind of well prepared for, you know, facing these guards that you know, provide these challenges all throughout the playoffs. So I think KCP and um, you know, Danny Green and Caruso, they're well-tested, and I think they have the confidence kind of going against these guards. Yeah, and, and speaking of another guy that needed to step up for Miami without Dragic was Kendrick Nunn. Obviously, he has gotten a lot of those minutes uh, with, with Dragic out, and in Game 4, Nunn was 2 for 11. Uh, he just, uh, you know, again, he's, uh, bo- I guess both him and Hero are rookies, so it is a lot to ask of them to be big-time contributors on, on the biggest stage in their uh, in their rookie season, but uh, he uh, he has seemed a little bit uh, shell shocked by by the moment as well, and and he took some some questionable shot attempts as well in that uh, in that game four. Yeah, I mean, Hero just I don't know. He just feels like he's going to be a stud. I mean, he's twenty years old. And I think we've seen what youngest player in the finals and starting there, so he's just going to be someone that you know you know I think Miami's really found someone uh, that's going to be there for a while. Even if uh, Dragic goes, I think obviously some of his playmaking ability that's going to improve. Kendrick Nunn, on the other hand, you know, I don't think he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to step in for Dragic and create. I think in 26 minutes yesterday, I don't think he's had a single assist, and uh, he's not out there looking to pass. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's something that, you know, throughout this series, those are little things where you just, re- you know, if you're a Heat fan, you just really miss Dragic being out there and being able to create for others and also for himself. Where with someone like Nunn, you just, you know, they become kind of more of a one-dimensional player and just a lot easier to guard for these Laker guards. Yeah, and the, the other thing that I think hurt Miami in, in Game 4 is, you know, you've got, uh, Spolster got such great production from Kelly Olynyk in the couple of games that Bam was out, but then uh, in the, he just played 12 minutes in Game 4, and I think part of it is, you know, Bam is a superior player to Olynyk. 
but there was a thought too that like maybe you know with with Bam's defensive versatility you could play those two guys together just to get a little bit more shooting out there but uh, Olenek uh, you know just really uh, after after again having some some pretty good offensive games in in, in two and three just uh, really didn't uh, didn't provide much for for Miami in that uh, in that last in that last loss which was uh, really a uh, uh, you know, a, a series decider, most likely. Yeah, Jared, who would, I mean, in, in that lineup, would you go with, you would keep Bam and Olenek, and then you would go with, uh, I'm guessing, Butler, Hero, and uh, Duncan Robinson? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see. I mean, I think it would, Jay Crowder has played pretty well in sports. I mean, it feels like he's hitting some of his open shots, but um, so I'm not, I guess that's probably from a defensive standpoint, if you take out, you know, Crowder or Iguodala. I could see why Spolster's probably not gone that route yet, but I think, you know, just overall, you know, Bam, you know, he's effective and has that, de- you know, defensive presence there, but from a Laker perspective, I think they'll allow, you know, Bam to take his mid-range shots and kind of live with those two-pointers rather than when Olenek hits those threes, it just feels like those are a lot more painful and hurt more and that really kind of take the air out for the Lakers compared to when Bam's out there you know, often kind of clogging up the lane a little bit where they're not able to spread the floor. I think I think the Lakers will live with Bam taking those shots. Yeah, and, you know, there there is a big difference just in terms of, you know, those those isolations with Jimmy Butler. If you've got Kelly Olynyk spacing the floor out to, you know, 24 feet, uh, there's a big uh, there's a big gap, to, a big distance to cover for that help defender to, to get in and and do something with Jimmy Butler, and of course, you know, if he passes it out, you're in trouble. Um, whereas if Bam, yeah, standing at the elbows or standing in the short corner, uh, that gap shrinks significantly, and it, it makes it a lot easier to, to help and get back, and, and yeah, just to, to clog things up. Yeah, I think one other thing that, you know, I want to give Miami really good credit for is just how they've limited the Lakers in transition, right? I think that's where the Laker offense, they just accelerate compared to, and excel compared to other teams is when they're in transition, even off of makes, they're able to push that ball with Caruso, LeBron, or Rondo. And Miami's just done a really great job of, you know, getting back, making them play that half court. Kind of, you know, they had a few more turnovers yesterday compared to game three. But if, you know, they can control their turnovers and, keep the Lakers out of transition, I think they can always keep these games, uh, you know, really uncomfortable for the Lakers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so through four games, you know, again, the Lakers are up 3-1, and it's, it's, it's certainly not a done deal yet. I don't want to assume that the Lakers are going to win, but I was curious uh, your take on who you would give the finals MVP to at this stage of the series. If you ask me after game two, I was, uh, you know, surprisingly still going with, I was going with AD, you know, going into the series, it probably felt like, you know, we're talking about LeBron legacy, goat check, right? You know, he's going to have to, you know, from some of the critics there, probably end up with the MVP there. And I was like, for AD to get it, he's going to have to average 40 points a game. He didn't have quite that, but the way he was playing early, uh, the first two games, it was, uh, I was leaning towards him. And then uh, with the game three dead that he put out and, you know, LeBron just, you know, maybe not, dominating in the typical LeBron manner we're used to, but just kind of controlling the game, the tempo. I, I think it's starting to shift towards LeBron now. I would still give LeBron the slight edge uh, kind of going into Game 5 at this point. How do you see it? Yeah, so, 
I, I mean, I, I definitely think LeBron is the favorite in terms of, if, like, if I had to predict who the people would vote for. And, and I think your explanation is, is absolutely on the money in terms of a lot of times that one kind of poor game with Davis it being largely due to foul trouble, uh, you know, oftentimes costs a guy, and that's something that sticks in the voters' minds. And it's similar to, I think, 2018, I believe, with uh, with Steph Curry and, and Kevin Durant. I think it was maybe uh, game three of that series. I, I, I'm trying to remember. But there was one game where Steph just had an off, off game offensively, and KD played really well. Um, and I, I felt like Steph outplayed KD in literally every other win that the Warriors had in that series. But that one game made the difference in the voters' minds. And I certainly think that could happen here. But if I had to, if, if I had a vote and I was voting myself, I, I would give it to AD. I think his his performance uh, in that uh, in that game too, especially in the third quarter when the Heat were making a run offensively, he just uh, you know was was unstoppable. Of course, in in this game four, his defense against the likes of of Butler down the stretch was absolutely huge. Uh, and uh, you know he also hit the hit the really the the three that sort of sealed the game as well for L.A. So, you know, not only this finals, but I think the whole postseason, as brilliant as LeBron has been, you know, I think if, if I had to pick one player on this Lakers team that I think has been the seminal player, uh, you know, you factor in the the game-winning buzzer beater that the Davis hit against Denver in Game 2. I think Davis has been that guy just with a slight edge over LeBron and and given his uh, rim protection and defensive value in this series, we've talked about how Hero has struggled a little bit with him at the at the basket. Uh, I I would personally give it to Davis. Yeah, and I probably didn't answer your question there clearly. In terms of, I think you know, I, I completely agree with you there. And it's funny I had the exact same conversation yesterday with a buddy in terms of comparison to the Curry uh, KD MVP debate. You know. It always felt like even in that series, even though KD had more points, where I think Kareem must have averaged like one point less, but it just felt like the heart of the team and the energy that they got from the buckets Curry scored, just something felt different when you're not looking at the raw numbers, but when you're just going for the feel of the game. And I feel the same thing so far in this series as well with AD, where some of the shots that he's hit, you know, just the crunch time shots, kind of giving them that making it from a two-possession to a three-possession game where it just feels like that momentum shifted a little bit. The dagger yesterday, the dagger against Denver. And LeBron, even against in the Denver series, he, until he turned it on game five towards the end, he really struggled from you know game two to the first half of the game five. So overall, definitely I think AD, um, you know, people weren't sure. Uh, would AD be able to perform on this stage? How would he play next to LeBron? And, you know, with, with the light that's shining on him and, He's excelled expectations for folks out here. Yeah, I mean, especially his shooting, uh, his outside shooting, you know, something that he not only struggled with this year, I think he shot 33% from from downtown, mid-30s from mid-range, and and he's been sort of near those numbers his whole career, but this postseason he's found that jumper, and it's really made him unstoppable. In these finals, Davis shooting 47% from the mid-range, 55% 55% from threes, 6 of 11 from downtown. He's uh, 17 of 17 from the free throw line. And uh, he's got uh, 25.8 points on 65.2 effective field goal percentage. So, uh, you know, as efficient as LeBron has been in this series and has been throughout his career, it's actually Davis that uh, has been the most efficient Laker in this series and in these playoffs. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting if, you know, game five, you know, not to jump ahead, if it is a closeout game, if, uh, you know, Davis has a dominant performance there, if he turns it around or not in terms of the voting. But um, I think just the overall narrative, kind of, you know, from a media perspective as well, I think it's going to be really hard for uh, AD to get those votes to uh, be the MVP. Yeah, and LeBron is putting up, uh, again, he's, he's still putting up pretty incredible <laughs> counting stats. 27.8 points per game, 11 rebounds, 8.5 assists. So uh, LeBron, uh, you know, yeah, really incredible for a 35-year-old doing <laughs> doing things that are that are quite he just, impressive. You know, he just controls that game, right? There's just some things that, you know, he's able to do and kind of get AD to the right spots there. And, you know, is controlling the flow of the game in the fourth and, you know, just taking that pressure off of AD uh, from, from a you know, scoring perspective as well and, being the point guard of this team at this age, really, I think uh, what he's done over this full season, I, I think it's uh, really kind of exceeded everyone's expectation uh, going into year 17. Yeah, and, and the storyline for this Lakers team, obviously, as uh, as dramatic as you could uh, as you could write in a script. I mean, with of course the um, the tragic passing of Kobe Bryant earlier this year. Uh, you, you were in L.A., and, and I know it's maybe hard to uh, gauge the vibe of the city during a year where we've, we've got a pandemic going on, but uh, um, what has been your sense about how the, the team and the city has sort of rallied around, um, you know, doing this for Kobe and, and, and uh, you know, uh, getting another championship to the city that, uh, that, that Kobe played for for 20 years? Yeah, I think, honestly, like, if we look at the season, it, it really feels like three or four seasons wrapped in one, I think. Yeah. The same team that started in China with the controversy, right? Like, that was this preseason. Like, we tend to forget that. Yeah, wow. <laughs> so, um, and from there, so you had kind of that early season with AD, Kobe's tragedy in uh, January, and then, then with COVID uh, and, and the break and, you know, uh, the movement. The social justice movement as well so there's just been so many different factors for the nba as a whole for just overall nba fans and everyone out there that feels like four seasons combined in one i think you know from a kobe fan for, for laker fans out here in la you know it, it's definitely bittersweet i think um you know just seeing that how the team has embraced that seeing how Vogel has you know they've got the mamba chan at, you know every pregame the kobe jerseys right i think one thing everyone's asking for is and we really hope we clinch it in those Kobe jerseys. Um, and just the way the you know team has played hard and kind of you know LeBron, AD have mentioned him throughout the season. I think um, you know it's bittersweet, but I think everyone's just looking forward to them kind of bringing home the trophy from Orlando. You know, in those Kobe jerseys, I think that that's kind of like that final piece. And who knows when uh, NBA basketball will be back? But um, you know. People are looking forward to hopefully getting back in Staples and again, maybe getting the Kobe statue and ring night all, all in one. Yeah, it uh, it certainly, if the Lakers finish this off, it certainly would be a storybook ending. So, Zeeshan, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do the Lakers close this out on Friday night? Jared, I, man, this, this Miami team is so gritty, they're hard to pick against, but I just feel LeBron in a closeout game, kind of what they've been through sick and tired of that bubble probably as well um i think they do i think lebron uh you know the lakers have been in this situation three times in the three series up three one and they've managed to close it out i see it as another grinded out game 
but I do see the Lakers closing this one out on Friday night. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. Uh, and uh, if they if they do so, it'll be quite an impressive run. They'll end up uh, sixteen and four in the playoffs, winning every series four games to one. And of course, that'll be uh, AD's first championship. That certainly will will change things for for him and uh, LeBron picking up number four. What do you think about uh, just those two guys and 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 their legacy and and just the discussion about them being at the top of the league and the top of, and as far as LeBron being amongst the all-time greats, how do you think this championship would, would change things for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for, from LeBron's perspective, right, you know, four championships through, with three different teams, kind of the situation that he's been in, I think obviously it makes, you know, kind of that good argument, it strengthens that for him. I think, I really do think it's really hard for a lot of folks to change their mind, right? If you're a Jordan guy, it's really hard to give that up. If you're a LeBron guy, it's really hard to give that up. You know, it's rare that people are going to change their opinions, but I think this really makes it, you know, really neck and neck for uh, many folks, you know, who are even Jordan fans there. Uh, I think obviously the six, six for six for Jordan is always going to be there. The six finals MVP is always going to be there. So um, I, obviously I think, you know, LeBron, it's uh, definitely top two, but I, I think he's really inching closer to Jordan. I, uh, to me personally, I think it's going to be take five for LeBron to get to the GOAT level, but he's going to be pretty much neck and neck there. From AD's perspective, I think, as I mentioned earlier, we weren't sure if, you know, if AD's that guy. We obviously, it succeeded in, uh, with the Pelicans, but can he step it up? Can he play with LeBron? Or, you know, would it be kind of a Paul George? Does he kind of shrink in the moment? You know, not to take a shot at the Clippers, but had to, you know, throw that in there. Um, <laughs> and AD, you know, really can take the reins of this team and just the chemistry that they've had from the start of the, the season I think that's something folks were concerned about you know are, are it, even Frank Vogel I think his narrative as a coach changes right like the whole year you know are you disappointed you didn't get Tyron Lou? we heard about Jason Kidd just you know waiting on the sidelines right we saw the memes just taking over for Vogel and really this whole year we didn't hear a complaint about Polenka you didn't hear a complaint about Vogel so there's just so many narratives that are going to change if the Lakers are able to close this out for both Blanca, Vogel, and, of course, AD and uh, LeBron. Yeah, the uh, the LeBron-MJ thing, of course, I've done plenty of uh, discussion on that on this podcast, but, uh, you know, I've always been in the, in the mindset that it's a clear MJ1, LeBron 2, but, you know, if, if LeBron gets his fourth on Friday or, you know, at any point for the rest of the series, whether that's in five, six, or seven. Uh, I, I do think that at the very worst, it's a 1A, 1B situation now um, with with MJ and LeBron. And, and yeah, the Davis thing is is so fascinating because, you know, we, we've seen it throughout his career. And, of course, he didn't have great teammates throughout his, uh, his career with the Pelicans. But he seemed to largely fail being that guy that can be the floor raiser, that can can be the, the focal point of your team and, and lift your team to a consistent playoff berth. But what he has passed this postseason with flying colors is the idea of being sort of the, the ceiling raiser. I would describe, you know, kind of like a Draymond Green, where if you're a supporting piece and you have another star that uh, is maybe the focal point of the offense, uh, that, that your uh, supplementary skills are highly valuable. Yeah, definitely. 
I, I think one other thing to mention is just from an overall franchise perspective, right? The Lakers have been, I know it's only going to be number 12 in LA, but just from a franchise perspective, they've been uh, chasing Boston for a while now to also tie Boston with the number 17 banner. I think that's probably one, one other thing that's going to be news here in LA. Yeah, and I've heard uh, I've heard the Boston faithful respond with the the Minneapolis ones don't count. <laughs> yeah, right. I hadn't heard that as much till like uh, the last couple of years, and especially this year, all of a sudden uh, starting to hear that a little bit more. <laughs> Bill Simmons as well. Yeah. All right. Well, Zisha, this was uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for for coming on as always, and uh, yeah, hopefully you can uh, you can get some sleep here. Yeah. No. I mean. Uh, you know, even the few hours, I think I'll sleep a lot better uh, if uh, they close it out in five. But never gonna count out the Heat, just the way they play with that uh, Butler, Spo, and you know Riley, the culture that they built there. You, know, you can never count them out. But um, I think you know just LeBron, the way he's focused, and uh, I think they're ready to get out of the bubble and come back home. So, uh, but never will sleep on the Heat. And I know Jimmy Butler and crew, they're gonna bring everything they have. Absolutely. Thanks again, and uh, you know, stay safe and good luck the the rest of the series. Thanks, Art. You too. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so. Uh, You can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television, so... uh, If you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host Corbin Ford on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he uh, he does does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or... The DMV Number 97 Or House cleaning Or Chumba Casino always brings the fun Play over a hundred different games online For free from anywhere You could redeem some serious prizes Chumbacasino.com Live the Chumba life No purchase necessary We're prohibited by law T plus terms and conditions apply See website for details Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. 
based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com internet for details.